Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and I want to welcome you to episode 91 of Lemlengthening Live, where the patients interview the guests. And today we have a return favorite Lemlengthening and Deformity Reconstruction Surgeon hailing from Stellenbosch, South Africa. That's right, he's back on the show to answer your questions. We have Dr. Franz Burkholz. Welcome back, Dr. B. How are you? Hey everybody, I'm very well, thanks. Absolutely, man. It's a great pleasure to have you on here. Uh, in the last year, you blew up as one of the favorite limb lengthening surgeons for this whole industry. I mean, literally, the value you've been providing, you know, online, offline, and just patients are just really getting, uh, taking a liking to you. So I really appreciate everything you're doing. Um, and you're one of the safer surgeons. That's why we're, we're glad to have you on. So today, guys, I know we're doing this a little bit earlier, but you got to understand Dr. B is actually in South Africa. So they're ahead of my time zone. Uh, and he's had a really long day, but he's here to answer questions because he loves doing this. So we have some questions that were submitted. So we're gonna go through those questions first. Um, and then we're going to take the live Q&A. But before that, I actually just want to catch up with Dr. B. It's been a while since we had him on live. So Dr. B, if you can give us a rundown of anything that's been happening, any updates that's been happening at IOR, Burkholz Orthopedics. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, you may recall from one of our previous uh, videos or interviews that, that I was in transition between Pretoria and Stellenbosch. I'm happy to report that I'm now fully established in Stellenbosch. I've got a fantastic team working with me. Uh, we, we're living the dream in a very beautiful part of the world. Um, the Institute is growing um, in leaps and bounds. And we've been able to put together a, a really high-end boutique offering for, for orthopedics in our neck of the woods. And um, obviously lots of research that we're doing, lots of innovation, but, but really um, focusing on patient care, patient outcomes. And um, that's been the, the gist of what we've been up to. Of course, for you guys, it's summer. For me, it's winter. So uh, <laughs> I am uh, in the throes of winter. It's, it's a little bit wet. It's a bit rainy. Um, so it's actually good to be at work because then you're inside. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful part of the world. The vineyards are just being pruned, so they're going to very soon be in, uh, in bud. And then, as you know, Stellenbosch is a great winemaking region, so uh, we're looking forward to the new harvest um, in the new year as well. That's incredible, man. That's so cool to hear. And uh, like I said, I've talked to a few patients that you've been doing limb lengthening for, and they're super satisfied. They love the area. It's a beautiful college kind of town for university. And uh, they say it's beautiful. They just they just love it. They love what you do with your team. And they just it's all positive uh, feedback that I'm getting from them. So it's incredible. So all right, guys. So without further ado, we're going to go right into the first submitted question here. And this one is from Axel. He is in the Discord here. So he said, um, can I ask Dr. B if he thinks a person's BMR will increase um, after they do stature lengthening. So after they get their height and let's say they start to, you know, recover and regain their body mass, will their BMR naturally increase or is that something that will kind of remain the same and it's just limb length? That's a very good question. Uh, the short answer is I don't know. Um, I'm not aware that that's been measured, but what we do know is for the period of lengthening, the uh, local blood supply to the limb segment increases uh, around fourfold uh, for around 16 weeks. So there is definitely a change in uh, BMR temporarily, whether that transitions long-term uh, is very difficult to see and, uh, and I guess very difficult to measure and quantify um, because there's so much variability. Um, yeah, so, so the short answer is I don't know, but we do know there is an increase in biology uh, temporarily in that limb segment. 
Gotcha. Very good. All right. Now to be the next question that we have, uh, well, actually has two questions. Uh, the first question he's asking, <clears throat> this is a very common question that patients like to ask surgeons. It's about pain. He's asking, what should they expect during the limb thinning procedure, uh, especially at your clinic? Because I know some patients, uh, surgeons have different protocol, but he's asking, are most patients able to manage the pain well after the operation? Well, I think the important thing to understand here is I don't feel a thing. So um, <laughs> me, it's not painful. Um, I'm, I'm joking, but that, that's often a surgeon's approach, right? And um, we pride ourselves in that we, we work in a very good team of anesthesiologists um, with us, and, and we tailor the pain control method to every specific patient. So we have different options. Um, one of the options is to combine the general anesthetic with what is called the spinal anesthesia, very similar to what you would, not you, but what somebody would have if they have a cesarean section where the lower limb is, is, is um, uh, numbed. And um, interestingly, then you wake up without any pain. Um, and also it lowers the risk of, of, of deep vein thrombosis quite significantly. So it's a routine technique that we use in arthroplasty surgery uh, partly for that reason. Um, of course, once the life comes back into the limbs, then the pain also returns and it's important to stay ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Another option that we offer, which is mo what most people choose, is a, what's called a PCA, which is a patient-controlled anesthesia. And that's basically like a little remote control device that you press and that delivers um, strong pain meds on demand. But to answer the question maybe a little bit more um, uh, globally, is that the vast majority of our patients say that they're actually surprised at how relatively little pain they have as a result of the surgery. Because realistically, we're breaking two legs, but, but still, you know, the fact that it's done in a controlled way, the fact that um, it's, it's, it's fixed quite properly, um, together with the anesthesia and analgesia, uh, actually makes, makes the pain relatively controllable. And, and most people, people remark on the fact that it's actually less painful than they expected. No, that's 100% true. In fact, I talked to two of your patients in the last month, and uh, one of them, he was just like, yeah, I kind of have like a pain level of like zero to two. I was like, that's so uncommon. And I was like, what is Dr. B doing there? He's like a magic magician to make this painless. And uh, the other one said the same thing. It's like less than a three, which most patients at like very popular clinics have said they feel anywhere from seven to nine. So you're doing something magical there. Keep it up. They're very happy. So it's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm an innocent bystander in this, this equation. It's actually my <laughs> my anesthesiologists that are the magicians oh okay well, hey man they're part of your team so you got a well-equipped team there that's awesome all right dr b his next question <clears throat> he's asking 20 years down the road what are some long-term effects of the surgery should i expect to get back my baseline level act of activities yeah, again, a good question, and i don't think there's any uh, fundamentally clear answer um the studies i've am aware of that that speak to this are probably the ones from Dr. Lee um, in, in Korea and, and he's looked at sort of longer term functional outcomes after um, stature lengthening or cosmetic lengthening. Um, it's difficult to quantify again because there's so many variables that come into play over a period of two decades that it's so difficult to, to quantify. But if the surgery is done well and the physiotherapy is established well and the, and the limits are adhered to that we don't over lengthen, mm -hmm. um, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect a near normal function for the long term. Yep. Of course, if we push the limits and we start creating deformities and, and permanent joint contractures, nerve issues, that will obviously be a different ball game. But, uh, but in, 
in the average patient that sticks to reasonable goals that has decent surgery, I am not aware of long-term detrimental outcomes. Um, awesome. But I say that carefully because we don't have the data. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Right. And hopefully in a few years, we'll have more data as this uh, continues to go on. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's see here. Somebody else had another question um, submitted and I cannot find it here at the moment, but we will go into the live Q&A because we have some more people there and then um, we'll have some more questions. So we're going to bring this one on the screen from JM. A surgeon question. I heard responses from other surgeons. What is your opinion if you only lengthen one segment like the femurs and you have a higher femur to tibia ratio? Will that cause arthritis to the knee? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it causes arthritis. Um, I do know that it will change your biomechanics somewhat. Um, you know, and you might have a slightly different gait pattern, a slightly different running pattern. Um, again, what, if we leave the ratios reasonably normal, in other words, if we don't do crazy amounts of lengthening in one segment, um, most people should be okay. Um, and, you know, we're talking that magic number of around six and a half centimeters, which I always bang on. If you're going to do one segment, do femur and do six and a half centimeters, that will give you your best bang for your buck. Um, of course, we can push the limit a little bit. Of course, we can add tibias. Of course, we can do a lot of things. But if you ask me what is the safest, in my mind, that's the safest. I love that. I love that you're you kind of fall into that more conservative approach because I've, patients ask me all the time, what's the best way to recover from the surgery? And I think, you know, conservative lengthening. I think for the femurs, six and a half centimeters. I think for the tibias, somewhere in that three and a half to four. Um, and you just, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of patients and they say that they recover remarkably well when they do the more conservative amount. And I know that that's when we first interviewed you back last year, you said that, hey, look, for the femurs, I like to kind of like get to that six and a half. And then if they're tolerating it well, we can kind of creep up a little yeah. bit, but that's incredible. I love that. I love that a lot. Okay. No, I think, uh, look, the safest lengthening is the one that we don't do, right? The safest lengthening is if you have nothing, um, because then you don't have any chance of, 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 of any compromise. But uh, realistically, the first couple of centimeters is free. After that, the complication rate starts rising linearly. And once we go beyond that six, six and a half centimeter mark, it goes exponential. Absolutely. And that's, that's just reality. And, and I can't change that. Mother Nature can change it, but I don't have control over it. Right, right. No, definitely. You do your best as the surgeon. All right. Uh, JM, he has more questions. So he's asking, for your osteotomy, do you use the osteotome or bone saw? If you use the osteotome, do you break the bone like you would have a fracture? Yeah, we, we use a very medieval-looking osteotome. It looks like a bone chisel or a wood chisel that you would use. It's very similar. It's just a bit sharper and a lot more expensive. Um, but we do pre-drill the bone uh, beforehand, so we do weaken the bone by creating uh, drill holes uh, to make sure that the bone breaks as controllably as possible, and then we use the chisel. And the reason we do that is that we create a controlled osteotomy with low energy so that the prediction of bone growth is better, so that we can predictably grow bone uh, more, um, you know, better. And uh, we found that if you use a saw, you tend to generate a lot of heat and friction, and that can actually be detrimental to future bone growth. Mm -hmm. The goal here is to try and get the patients back to function as soon as possible, as safely as possible. And one of the things that dictates that is the quality of the bone that's formed. Because the quicker the bone forms, the better it forms, um, the quicker the patient can, can return to their life. 
of course, that's the one side. The other side is the soft tissues, which also play a role. And, and um, the bone and the weight bearing and the bone healing is only half of the equation. The other half is the soft tissue. And uh, regardless of how strong the device is that you put in there, you still have to recover the soft tissue. So that plays a little bit into this arguments around weight bearing nails and so on, which I guess we'll get into at a later stage. But, um, but yeah, short answer, osteotome, medieval looking chisel, uh, done in a controlled fashion. And the reason for that is that we grow better bone. Okay, very cool. Um, and I actually did find that last question that was submitted ahead of time here. Uh, he's in the Discord and he was asking, um, now we've heard that Orthofix is coming out with a new Fitbone nail. Apparently it does have greater weight bearing capacity. Um, it's supposed to kind of compete with the new one released from Nuvasive. And um, he wanted to ask, do you have any inside knowledge since you're um, you know, a prevalent uh, Fitbone user? He's asking, do you know any specs like the new nail size, the weight bearing capacity, the length, the release date costs or, you know, et cetera? Um, I know, and I need to be circumspect because I do attend the Fitbones users meeting. They do share proprietary information with us, uh, which I probably cannot share too much of publicly without giving it away. Um, the Fitbone nail is a strong nail. The nail itself is strong. It can withstand 100 kilograms of, of, of weight. The problem is the, the fixation bolts uh, that it gets fixed to the bone with. Uh, the screws, for lack of a better term, and that, that's the weak spot of, of, of the nail. And um, they are working on improving that. They're also working on improving the um, different options in terms of length and diameter and shape and so on. So there's definitely a sort of a refurbishment of the whole footbone platform coming. Mm -hmm. um, when that will be, we don't know. Um, I know they've been working hard on it for more than a, a couple of years now. And uh, we're hoping to get some updates soon. Okay. Whether it's going to be marketed as a weight-bearing nail or not, I don't know. Um, you know, the marketing gurus will probably have a different way of how they want to do that. But again, the companies will try and sell you the most expensive product um, as quickly as possible and as many of them as they, as they can. So, so just take a lot of this marketing hype into context. And, uh, you know, the best nail for you is the nail that's employed by the safest surgeon. So, you know, the, the hammer is important, but the person holding the hammer is even more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say that. That's a, I love that advice. Um, no, that's incredible. I think that you're right. I try to reach out to Orthovix once and I got silence, but I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to help the, uh, the, um, the whole nail battle, the battle of the nails. So. I, I think what we're going to see is at the moment we've got a one horse race, I think, or a one and a half horse race. <laughs> um, I think we're going to see very quickly a two horse race and then we're going to have other players coming into the field. Absolutely. And I think it's an exciting time for limb lengthening because I think um, not only is it getting more popular, I think it's getting safer. We're understanding it much better. We can deploy it much safer. But also, there's a lot, lot, new, lot of new technologies that are going to come on, online. And, and I'm very excited to, to see in this space what's going to come, come into it. Um, you know, I've been working on a concept for a lengthening nail for a very long time. And, and, you know, I'm hoping to eventually bring my own one to the market. But, you know, that's probably my retirement package, <laughs> these things take a long time. So, uh, but, but yeah, I think a lot of us are thinking in this direction. We're trying to solve the problems. We're trying to develop new devices. And, and I think watch this space. There's going to be some interesting technologies coming down the line. I mean, we're talking um, memory shape alloys. We're talking um, 
piezoelectric crystals, we're talking hydraulic systems, you know, there, there's all kinds of interesting ways in which you can actuate the nail, mm-hmm. um, which could be interesting ways to, to, to actually de- deploy the technology. But of course, it has to be proven in patients and uh, none of us want to spend, you know, $100,000 to become a, a, a test um, dummy, you know, so <laughs> that, that so is important to take note of. No, definitely. And uh, Dr. B, kind of a question for myself here, and I get this asked all the time, and it's asking about, like, as new players come into the field with new nails, um, do you suspect that, you know, if they all price it similarly, how will the patient, will they take to the more popular nail with the surgeon? How, how will the companies kind of, I, I think that one would have to undercut in price. What, what do you see with the cost of the nail? Do you see, like, one company happening the undercut in price unless one outfeatures the other one? What do you see with the, uh, the price of the nail happening? What I cannot speak on behalf of the companies. I don't know how they would do this, but but if we take the pattern of different devices in the orthopedic industry, like trauma devices or external fixators or so on, the pattern has always been that there's one person that comes up with the concept, uh, like the Taylor Spatial Frame. Uh, they market it well. They provide a good service. They provide a great product. They research it well, and then the patent starts expiring and they bring another player into the market. Uh-huh. What this new player does is he doesn't undercut the guy. He actually pitches at the same level okay. and, and he proposes an equivalent product at the same level because obviously it's money. They, they want to keep their shareholders happy, right? Yeah. So, so what we see is the new players tend to actually enter at the same level okay. and, and very few occasions do they actually undercut the original. Wow. And, and, you know, whereas that works in the free market system out there, it doesn't seem to work in the orthopedics um, industry. Yeah. Um, instead of going down, the prices then seem to go up. Yeah. And, and that's just a pattern that I've seen over the years. Now, whether that's going to apply in this case, I don't know. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think the more players we're going to see, we're just going to have more choices. But I don't know if that's necessarily going to bring the cost down. Um, I don't agree with that. I yeah. think this cost should go down because it's crazy that these nails cost so much. Um, but you know that that is the reality of of the market we're in right. um you know at the moment if you look at most packages for for lack of a better term but packages for um for statue lengthening you know probably about a third of that price is made up of the cost of the nails alone you know and that is a little bit crazy if you think yeah. about it um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of R&D, there's, I, I, I realize that, I, I, I'm involved in the game, I know that, but, but wow, it's, it's crazy, you know, the, the, the guys with the skin in the game, which is basically the, the surgeons and the patients, are not really benefiting from this deal no. um, in that sense. <laughs> it's the medical device companies, yeah, they're getting a lot. I just think it's going to be interesting because um, if they both have similar technology, and let's say one surgeon gets a, like a stock of let's say invasive nails and let's say fit bone at the same time the patient can t- kind of select which one they want and they're going to most likely go with the one that was more popularized and marketed better and in my mind i think that's where the price differential will have to come into play just from a marketer yeah. standpoint myself and i think that if they don't do that they're going to lose revenue out anyway and unless they seriously yeah. outfeature them and that's just my prediction but i guess you're right we have to see what happens so um, they have to see what they do, but um, but yeah, I, I'm not holding my breath that we're going to have half price nails anytime soon. <laughs> I think it's going to be incremental amounts, probably 10%, maybe 15%. Um, if somebody is stupid and they bring a weight-bearing nail 
and they withdraw their non-weight bearing nails from the market, yeah. then they're probably going to close them down and somebody else might have a great opportunity to step in. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not naming names, but that, that, is, that has been spoken about. I have heard of that rumor. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I love it, Dr. B. All right, moving right along here. Um, this next question, okay, so Yusuf is kind of asking about pain. So Yusuf, I think you had that question that you sent me about pain. Uh, Dr. B answered that a little earlier. We're going to move on to the next one from David Sun. He's saying, if you have a labrum tear in the hip, is that con a contraindication for femur length limb lengthening or that can that be overcome? <clears throat> yeah, great question. Um, the short answer is that for a proper safe limb lengthening, we need a stable hip and a stable knee if we're lengthening a femur. A labrum tear doesn't destabilize the hip, but it will definitely make the journey a little bit more difficult because labral tears would give you some range of motion issues in the hip and the increased joint pressures as a result of the longer limb might actually exacerbate the labral tear pain and things. So, so I would think I would be careful. I don't think it's a contraindication, but I would be a little bit careful with, um, with how I perform the, the surgery and what the, the, um, the aim is, what the target is, you know, limiting the target a little bit. Maybe even considering doing a retrograde insertion so that we do the osteotomy further away from the, from the hip um, to try and eliminate this joint pressure thing. Uh, to a certain extent but there, there are a couple of things that come to mind but i don't think it's a contraindication but it's certainly something to be cognizant of and it needs to be taken into the risk benefit equation for the patient absolutely so yeah you definitely you know bring that up in the consultation with dr b so he can kind of know you about your medical history uh dr b he is asking what is your opinion on the precise max or any weight bearing nail in that you know matter uh that will cause possible slow consolidation due to less load or i guess mechanical stress through the bone for bone healing yeah, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Um, I mean, the stride was punted as the great next big thing, and that's proven to be a complete disaster. So who knows? You know, um, it's very difficult to say. Um, the consolidation, you're right, there's, there's two components to bone consolidation. The one is the biology, so what the patient has, capacity to grow, vitamin D levels, all of that stuff, biology. Um, the way the osteotomy is done, all of that stuff. And then on the other side, we've got the mechanical load. Uh, and we know mechanical loading generally is quite good for bone healing, but not bending. So axial loading is good. Now, the nails will not really allow axial loading. They allow a little bit of bending. So they're actually not so good for, for bone healing. Um, and whether the precise maxis stiffness will actually be beneficial or detrimental, I, I simply don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, guys, about that one. That'll be in due time. Yeah. All right. Where it could get interesting is if we have a nail that has uh, the capacity to dynamize, where, where we have a nail that's weight-bearing and you have the ability to actually allow micro-motion along the length of the nail. Um, right. But then we're talking lots of money, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but that, that would be interesting because then you've got a dynamic nail that could actually promote bone healing. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of doing like that mini uh, accordion technique in a way. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Yusuf's back with another question, um, and he's kind of referring to quadrilateral lengthening. What should be the time gap in between doing the femur and the tibia surgery? Should four or five months be enough? <laughs> yeah, I get this question. I'm laughing because I get this question very, very often. Yeah. And everybody is trying to push me for a shorter gap. <laughs> and, you know, it is such an individual thing. So... You know, my official line is six months. That, okay. That's what I tell people when they ask. 
Can we do it shorter? Yes, in certain instances we can, um, depending so much on the patient, the targets, the goals, all of that stuff. But my strong advice would be, if you haven't done a limb lengthening yet, embark on one, do, yeah. do one segment, get it under your belt, see how that was for you, see how that changes your life. And more often than not, you won't even do the second one. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I sometimes read these things and I see, you know, I'm going to do 20 centimeters. I'm going to do, you know, 25. I'm going to do a quadrilateral and then re-break my femur and my tibia again and do another, I don't know how many. Um, you know, and yes, that's cool. You know, it's good to have aspirations and it's good to want to change your life. And, and you know, I cannot... Um, you know, put myself in your shoes. You know, I can't because I'm blessed with height. So, so it would be very arrogant of me to, to give you strong advice on this. But, but the point is, this is a brutal surgery. It is a brutal process. And, you know, we can make it as safe and as nice as we can, but it, it remains a brutal thing. And I would, my strong advice would be choose the safest segment, get that under your belt, get a good amount of lengthening mm -hmm. and see where you are. If you then feel up to doing a second section, go for it. But, but, probably 80% of people will be happy with a single segment. And uh, I've seen it time and again, you know, that, that you know, rather go for, for something safe, go to a good surgeon and don't try and do everything at once. It's like anything in life, you know, anything that's worth doing takes a bit of time, takes a bit of preparation, generally takes a bit of money and, and you need to, to sequence and stage it properly. Um, this is not something to rush into. And, you know, if it takes you six months, it takes you six months. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a really safe way about going about it. It's like, guys, I, I have seen that same thing, Dr. B. I think that over 80%, maybe 85%, they just get one segment done and then they fade off back to their normal life. And the ones that do get it done, the, the more height done is usually they knew that they were far below average and they stay with that safe surgeon and they're comfortable going back for just four, three, four centimeters on the other segment. So okay. absolutely. So great, great answer here. Um, Next question is from James. Um, he's saying, is the amount of centimeters you lengthen on your femurs equal to the gain in height? And I think this is kind of, you know, um, biting at the anatomical axis of the femur. It's kind of going out to the side. So if you want to kind of give your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not very good at uh, mathematics anymore. I used to be a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I've forgotten most of those equations. But uh, if you think about it carefully, you know, the, um, the mechanical axis is basically the line that runs from the center of the hip to the center of the ankle. And that's basically, as you're standing, that's pretty much what contributes to your height. Now, when we're lengthening, we're lengthening at a seven degree angle to that because we're lengthening along the anatomic axis, which is where the shaft of the bone runs. And um, so that seven degree angle is what determines the triangle. And now you have to go and work out if you lengthen this side of the triangle by six centimeters, what would it do to the other one? Mm -hmm. The short answer is it would make a slight difference, but not massively. So you would maybe gain another millimeter or two. Um, yeah. Okay. So just very, very negligible guys. And I said the same thing, yeah. unless you have exactly. a deformity to begin with, which is like knock knees. And that's when you can get that corrected uh, at a time. So, all right. Next guy here is actually one of Dr. B's current patients. He's a namesake of mine, DJ Cyborg. Welcome to the show. He said he hit 3.7 centimeters tonight. And this is one of the patients of Dr. B's who's been incredibly satisfied. Um, he's been all in the Discord. If you guys can go follow his... Um, his uh his diary he's kind of keeping a you know post update of how his lengthening is going so go ahead and check out the discord i have a link below this video you can check it out dj cyborg is in there and he's always responding to patients as well so awesome congrats to you dj cyborg super happy to hear that all right um good job 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jam is back. He's saying, what percentage of your patients actually reach the full eight centimeters? Uh, did you have to stop anyone because of contractures, non-unions, or any other complications? <clears throat> yeah, so my, my take is normally the other way around. So I don't target eight and then stop beforehand. I target six and a half, and then we try and go more. And some people are quite happy to stop at six and a half, but we do have patients that want to push for the maximum. And of those, of that group that wanted to push for the maximum, the majority of them got to about seven or seven and a half. So, so we sort of get into that range. Uh, I've had a number of patients where we got to eight. Um, I've never had to stop anybody from a non-union perspective, but we have had to stop, I think, one patient based on nerve-related symptoms. Mm. Um, and I think he stopped at 7.3 or something like that. So, um, yeah, so we tend to reach our targets, but I don't want to advertise to the world that we aiming for eight every single time because that's simply not true. Uh, not everybody can reach eight safely. I love that. I love that. It's what your body can tolerate, not what your uh, exactly. body can tolerate. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and, and the irony and the, and the brutality and the, the cruel part of this is that the taller you start, the more you can tolerate more height right. or, or more length. Yeah. So, so if you start with very long femurs, then of course, six centimeters is nothing. Um, but if you start with shorter femurs, six centimeters is quite a percentage of your, your femur length. So that's the cruel aspect is the guys that need it the most probably have the most complications at the maximum height. So, um, yeah, and I'm not here to question uni the universe, but it, it should have been a bit more fair, I think. No, it's so true. And I've seen that time and time again. A lot of people who are like 5'2", they'll email me and they'll say, hey, Victor, can I get eight centimeters? I was like, hey, look, uh, talk to your surgeon. And I say, lengthen and observe because along the way, you may hit some roadblocks. And, you know, those guys may hit eight centimeters safely, but a lot of them may find that they can't. So. All right. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, uh, one should be careful, and this is maybe where I need to put the safety um, comment in this again. Um, one should be careful of what you see on the internet and on TikTok and on YouTube and everywhere, um, although we are on a social media platform at the moment. But um, <laughs> one should be very careful. Are there people that can get 15 or 20 centimeters? Yes, of course. There are people that do that. Mm -hmm. um, what do they look like 10 years down the line? We have no idea. Um, so, yes, you know, people can get 10 centimeters on a femur. People can get 7 centimeters on a tibia. Yes, it's been done. It's been done regularly. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that's what we should offer everybody? No, we can't. We need to stick with what is safe. And, and anything in science has what we call a Gauss curve, a, a, a normal distribution curve. And you want to be in the middle. Right. You know, you want to be in that sort of safe zone where things are pretty predictable. Right. As soon as you go to the outliers, then it becomes unpredictable and it becomes crazy very quickly. And, and that's where you get guys that are crippled for life. And, and this is the reason why I do the surgery, is to actually try and give that middle road, that, that central part, where we can predictably lengthen, we can do it safely, that we try and see some less crippled people in the world. That's, that's sort of my personal reason. Guys, you got to know that when I, when me and Dr. B started kind of talking last year when he first came back onto the scene for Satchel Lincoln, because he was never against it, but he always kind of, you know, wasn't one to market and promote it, just like he talked about. And then he said, hey, look, I'm coming back just to, you know, save the patients who are getting crippled by this surgery. So this guy is so noble in his cause for the reason why he's offering stature lengthening. It's ridiculous. A lot of surgeons will do it just to make money. He's doing it to kind of save patients. And that's why I was so, you know, adept to kind of bring him on and say, hey, good, this is one safe surgery. Look at him. He's going six and a half centimeters on the femurs. Hit that first and then lengthen from there. That's, that's what you want to do. 
All right. So uh, this guy's an amazing surgeon. Okay. Um, big man Stevens. He's saying, how important is the stress and general mental health? What would you recommend a patient to do? Okay. That's a good question. I think there's, there are three things that you need to do. Um, the first one is you need to be well prepared. So you need to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, most of you guys on the servers and on, on these platforms are well prepared. You know more about the surgery than we do as surgeons. So, so the preparation <laughs> part is very, very important. But be aware that it's not a walk in the park. This is not, I think one of our colleagues mentioned, it's not a haircut. Um, and it's not. It, it is surgery. It's big surgery. It's risky. There's stuff that can go wrong. So, so that's the one component. Be prepared. The second component is slot into a team that has psychological support. And, and, you know, I don't want to blow my own horn here, but, but we've got a multidisciplinary team that includes a psychologist. And a psychologist consult is a standard part of our package. Not because I think you're crazy, not because I think you're going to need it, but just so that you have that baseline where if things start going pear-shaped, that you have this contact person that you can speak to and that you've seen right at the beginning of your journey. So, so we've got that as a support. On top of that, we, we try and support our patients through uh, providing access to other patients so that people can share their journeys and, you know, obviously with patient confidentiality and all of that respected. Um, but, but sort of worked journey with some support structure. And then the third thing, and that's maybe uh, a little bit more fuzzy, is make sure you bring something to do because it's three months is a tremendously long time. Um, almost swore on your on your on your um, video now, but it, it's a long time. Yeah. And um, and you know you need to have something meaningful that you're busy with. You know, write a book, paint pictures, um, you know, work, do something, but bring something for you to do because it gets long and it gets tedious. And you will have it's like a roller coaster. You will have up days and you will have down days, and and you just need to keep yourself entertained, busy. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, just watching Netflix is not, not enough, um, you know, so maybe go into this with the intention of learning a new language or, or doing something else, you know, finding something meaningful to do together with this journey is probably a very good thing to, to think. And, and that will also keep your mind occupied and, and, and keep you from thinking too many crazy things. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, it's, it's, yeah, like you said, keeping occupied. And uh, guys, I mean, that's why he has, like he said, he has a team of like a psychiatrist, uh, psychological support. And you guys have Cyborg for Life. So we have Discord servers, we have all kinds of uh, exactly. resources to stay involved and stay engaged with the patient community if um, he also has patients there to engage with. So it's awesome. All right. So JM's also asking, he says, do you expect patients to stay in South Africa during the whole lengthening period. If I came back to the U.S., do I have to fly back if I had some complications? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, patients will need to be in South Africa for three months. That's that's the bottom line. So until the end of distraction. That's the absolute minimum. Um, and I don't compromise on that at all. Um, have I lost patients because of that uh, um, policy? Yes. Uh, I have a number of patients that that cannot take three months off. I'm sorry about that, but that's just my minimum safety standards. So um, unfortunately, we do need you close by. And the, the problem is not the, the surgery part is the easy part. The second part of the lengthening is where things can go pear-shaped. And that's where I need you close. Right, absolutely. Safe and sound. All right, guys, let's see what we have here. Lots of good questions, keep it up. Uh, what are some of the complications you've had from your patients? How do you handle those complications? 
Yeah, cool question. Uh, one that I think we've dealt with in one of our previous uh, right. interviews as well, but I think we'll answer it again. It's no problem. It's an important one. Mm -hmm. um, complications, I've seen every possible complication in the book um, <laughs> in my own hands. Um, and as a surgeon, I'm obviously not very proud of that, but that is the reality of surgery. Surgery equals complications. Absolutely. What is important is that we try and minimize those, that you try and anticipate when they would occur and try and prevent them. And then lastly, if they do occur, that we try and treat them as effectively as possible. So that's why you need a surgeon that's not going to disappear on you once you get a complication, a surgeon that has seen complications and dealt with them successfully so that they're comfortable treating complications. You know, inserting a nail and breaking the bone is actually not as difficult as it seems. Um, but getting the patient safely from start to finish, that, that's quite a skill. And there's very few of us that actually have that. And, um, you know, so, so complication anticipation and management is really, really important. So choose a surgeon that's actually used to treating complications. Um, hopefully not his own, hopefully from somewhere else. But, um, but, but, you know, you need somebody that can treat a non-union. You need somebody that can treat a joint contracture. You need somebody that can release a nerve or can do a ITV release or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, or somebody that's, that's actually seen a fat embolism syndrome and treated it. You know, that's the type of team you want to slot into. Um, if a surgeon tells you that he hasn't had any complications, he's absolutely lying. That, that's absolutely impossible. No surgeon can tell you that he has had zero complications. That doesn't exist. Um, type of complications, I'll break it down into a couple of, of quick groups for you. We have the perioperative or the um, operation-related complications. Those are things like bleeding, uh, things like pain, things like uh, fat embolism syndrome and blood clots. So in my stature lengthening patients, I've seen a mild fat embolism. I've seen a couple of patients that bled a little bit more than we expected. They didn't need blood transfusions. Um, I've not seen a blood clot and I've had nobody with a serious intraoperative complication. Shortly after surgery, the type of complications that we see there are things like premature consolidation, um, difficulty in getting the nail to work. Uh, so we've seen those um, and we've dealt with them effectively. And then the later complications, joint contractures, nerve-related symptoms, um, difficulty in walking, delayed union, we've seen all of those in a variety of our patients and um, treated them effectively. So there are strategies that we employ. And, you know, it sounds like I'm the guy that gets all the complications. Um, it's not true. Remember, these complications are a low percentage. But have I seen them? Yes, I have seen them. Absolutely. And those are the types of things we deal with. Um, but yeah, again, safety, choose somebody that's comfortable dealing with them because they are inevitable to a certain extent. Absolutely. I think that that's what you want. You want some surgeon who's seen them at one point in his career and knows how to handle them so that if it comes up, he can handle them and, and treat them if another patient comes from another clinic. That's incredible, Dr. B. All right. Uh, the next question that we hear, have here is from Ayush and he's saying, is uh, quadrilateral lengthening safe? Um, if someone underwent quadrilateral lengthening, how many months can they walk normally, uh, assuming that they gained six centimeters on the femur and about four to five on the tibia? Refer to the previous comment. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, is quadrilateral lengthening safe? Yes, in certain instances. So if we stick to a limit of six on the femur and four on the tibia, I think that's a reasonable goal. Then you can add 10 centimeters. That's good. But I would still try and separate the two 
surgeries as far as possible. So then it becomes more of a two-stage surgery than a real quadrilateral. Um, quadrilateral, I think in, the, in most people's understanding is when you go into the hospital once and you have all four bro bones broken and lengthened. So whether it's a week apart, two weeks apart, three weeks apart, but you know, that, that's the idea is that it's one intervention. Uh, in my mind, quadrilateral surgery is basically a two-stage. There's a femoral part and a tibial part, and we separate them as far as possible. Yeah, Can yeah. we do it three weeks apart? Yes, in certain instances, we probably could. Um, but my strong advice would be get the femurs, get your six months out, and if you then want to come back for the tibias, let's do them. I know it will take more time out of your program, but that's the safe way. If you ask me what is safe, that's safe. That's the safe way, guys. That's what we want. All right. Uh, Douglas uh, is asking, uh, is it routine for your patients to have a catheter in stature lengthening? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> we've, um, we've gone both ways. And, uh, you know, our, our um, um, thinking around this is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. um, it is big surgery. What we've done is to actually place our patients routinely in the ICU, so in the high dependency unit or the um, high care unit after surgery uh, for two reasons. The one is we can monitor them very closely for things like fat embolism syndrome. We can monitor the, monitor the circulation, the oxygenation, all of that, those things critically. And that, that's sort of included in our standard treatment. Um, that's the, the standard of care. Now, if you are in an ICU, and we're giving you strong pain medication, and especially if you've had a, a spinal anesthesia, it is difficult to feel whether your bladder is full or not. And then it is better to have a catheter in because it's much easier to put a catheter in controllably under anesthesia and then take it out controllably afterwards than to try and reinsert it when you're awake and your bladder is full and you're in pain and all of that. So, so to answer the question shortly, I think our current trend of, of, of management is to actually use a catheter, but we use it judiciously and we, we use it for a very short period of time. I've had one myself when I had back surgery a few years ago and yeah, it's not lacquer, but it's, it's not great, but it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's necessary and uh, for some cases. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually not as bad. I know it's pretty scary, but it's, it's actually not as bad as it seems. Right. No, definitely. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, James is back with another question. He's saying, would separating length into small segments be easier on your body and your muscles? For example, you know, if you're doing five centimeters on the femur to break it into two and a half centimeters separated by six months apart. So two and a half centimeters rest. And then I guess you do a, another osteotomy and then another two and a half centimeters. Uh, yes, it would be easier on your on your body. Um, it would be much more difficult on your pocket because that would be a, an extra surgery. Um, and yeah, I, I wonder if the gains that you have would be big enough on a five centimeter lengthening to actually warrant the extra risk. Because remember, it's an extra operation. So it's an extra anesthetic risk. It's an extra cut into the bone, uh, theoretical risk of infection and so on. So um, you know, for five centimeters, I would go for one one single segment. And but yes, we we have uh, seen the, this technique. We've used it, um, and, and it's been around for a long time. Uh, in the longer lengthenings with external fixation, where we sort of do the osteotomy, start the lengthening, and do a second osteotomy, and continue the lengthening, so that you do two regenerates 
rather than one. So it is a technique that's well described. Um, I don't think for a five centimeter femoral lengthening I would employ that um, because the first three centimeters is for free and then you only have the other two centimeters that you need to deal with. So five centimeters is pretty predictable on a femur with right. a nail. Yeah. For most patients, yeah, they can definitely get yeah. that. Um, Dr. B, this is an inevitable question. Um, and guys, we were going to kind of mention it at the end, but he's asking now, Dr. B, what is your pricing for femur lengthening? Um, yeah, if you want to mention that. Yeah, uh, so um, my pricing for femur or tibia lengthening is the same. Um, and that is a fully inclusive um, fee that, that literally includes everything, including food, accommodation, physio, you name it, for three months. So, and that is $60,000. So, um, we pride ourselves in the fact that that's at the more affordable scale of the spectrum. But despite that, that is a um, high-end premium experience. It's, uh, it literally includes things like we pick, up, pick you up from the, from the um, airport. We put you in a hotel before surgery. We, um, uh, you know, I don't have to give you all the details, but, but it's a full package, includes everything. And uh, yeah, there you go. I think you've got it on your, got it right on here, your page guys. there. Yeah, guys, um, so you guys want to really includes everything uh, apart from serious complications. Of course, we cannot, uh, you know, if you need to be intubated and ventilated in, in the ICU, that that would be extra. Um, nail removal is extra. But, uh, you know, from from the purposes of actually going and, and having the surgery done, uh, if you want something that includes everything, that's that's our package. And it, it runs at 60 at the moment for for femurs and tibias. That's right, guys. So you can see it right here. And then if you want to kind of book a consultation with Dr. B, all you have to do, there's a link below. Um, he kind of partnered up with Cyborg for Life as a safe surgeon. He, he you know, was willing to do that. Super awesome of him. And if you want to reach out to him to set up a consultation, these are his pricings here. Um, all you have to do is click the link. And then um, when you come to the page, you can see everything that he offers, read about his bio, everything. This guy's amazing. You just click book consult. And then it's easy. Fill out your name, info here. He'll get a notification to reach out to you via email. And when he has availability in his schedule, he'll set up a Zoom call with you. Okay. All right. So we're going to stop sharing there. Um, let's see. The next question is, I think this question, let me just read this real quick. How much height bone length effect is safe lengthening? Okay. So safe lengthening mounts. We kind of mentioned this a little earlier, big man, Steven. So, um, yeah, he kind of mentioned this a little earlier in the, the discussion. Yeah. So about six and a half for the femur and about four and a half for the tibia. Somewhere on that <laughs> straight, straight, straight shot answer. Um, Dr. B, what is your opinion on the clicking nails like or the mechanical nails like the Betts bone of the G nail? Uh, would that disrupt this, the callus by clicking or ratcheting the nail? I will answer this um, this way. I, I have no personal experience with the G nail or the Betts bone nail or the Albitia nail, which is where they derive from. Um, so I don't have personal experience. What I've seen in patients is I don't get the impression that the clicking affects the callus directly because generally the patients I see with these nails have a decent amount of callus um, on a whole. You know, obviously there are variations, but generally they seem to form bone quite well. It is a concern, you know, theoretically in my mind, but, you know, I, I haven't seen that borne out in the x-rays I've seen. Um, what does concern me more is the difficulty in clicking that some people have. Some people click very easily. But some people find it very difficult and they have to do a very painful maneuver sometimes many many times a day to actually get that clicking going and and to me that's the concern um you know the clicking looks like it can be very brutal now 
like I say, I say that without any context of personal experience. My closest personal experience to that would be the ISKD nail that we had uh, many years back, uh, which was also a clicking nail, double ratchet mechanism, and it required less of a, a rotational movement to, to affect the, the click. Um, the problem with that was that it was still uncomfortable to click, but also we had some unpredictable clicking where the nail sometimes ran away. Um, I had a young farmer that we tried to lengthen with an ISKD and he clicked so much in the first week that he lengthened, lengthened four centimeters in one week. Uh, so obviously that didn't go too well, but, uh, but yeah, so again, complications. <laughs> I'm your guy. I've seen all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely a learning curve for those uh, mechanical nails. I think that with the, you know, the magnetic or the electric nails, it's very simple. It's just a you know, actuates differently, the stroke happens differently. But with the mechanical nails, I think it's a little bit more obsolete. And as we see the nail, you know, the advancement of the nails, I think that things are gonna get better and better for the patient. Um, Absolutely. Let's see here. The next question from M. Carter, he's saying, how much of a difference are between a weight-bearing nail and a non-weight-bearing nail? Can we really walk around with the weight-bearing ones and how soon after surgery? Yeah, this is one of my favorite questions um, because I'm, I'm quite opinionated about this. Um, a weight-bearing nail is great. Um, if we could trust the nail to take the patient's full weight, that would be so much easier to, um, you know, progress with physiotherapy more rapidly, do some more natural walking patterns and so on early on. So yes, no question that a, a good weight-bearing nail would be the, the holy grail. Mm -hmm. Do the current nails or, or the nails that are punted as weight-bearing nails, including the stride and including the precise max and maybe the foot bone in future, would they be real weight-bearing nails where we would tolerate full weight-bearing on every single patient? I'm not so sure whether we would trust them that much. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one side of the argument. The other side of the argument, and that's where it gets really interesting, is if we cut your bone and we start pulling it apart at a millimeter a day and we're stretching your muscles and your nerves and your blood vessels, do you really think that you're going to walk on that leg normally um, in the first couple of months after that? Probably not. I mean, realistically, weight-bearing or non-weight-bearing, you're not going to be a normal functioning person three weeks after a limb lengthening surgery, right? And uh, duplicate that to becoming bilateral, then it makes it even more difficult. So, so yes, weight-bearing nails, great, fantastic idea. Would that translate into real weight bearing for every single patient after surgery? I don't think so, because there's a lot of complexity to lengthening that goes beyond the ability to wear weight. It's actually stretching the muscles, keeping the joints mobile, keeping the nerves mobile, uh, controlling pain. You know, there, there's so many other things that come into play that, that, that I think the weight bearing component is sometimes overplayed. Absolutely. I agree. That's a great answer. And I think that really what it does, I think for patients is gives them a sense of security that they're not going to have the nail malfunction or they're going to damage their regenerate, which is really good. And it gives them That's a little good. bit more independence. And I yeah. tell them all the time, I said, you should have walking assistance nearby. It's, it's not as risky than if you have a non-weight bearing nail, but it's still, yeah. you know, suggested. So. Awesome. Yeah. It's an, I, th I think the message should be that the weight bearing nail gives us that confidence and all of that stuff. It gives us the ability to maybe do our physiotherapy a bit faster mm -hmm. and so on. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't make this a minor surgery. Yeah. It doesn't make this a surgery where you have the surgery now, you fly back home and two weeks later you're back at work. Yeah. It doesn't change this into that. Exactly. You're still lengthening your bones, your soft tissues. You're still going to have pain exactly. and lots of physio to do. So 
Those remain. Um, all right, the bright star. He's asking if the precise stride is out on the market. If the old method like the LON and precise 2.2 is going down in cost, especially we're talking about new technology. Okay, so I guess he's just kind of making a comment. I shouldn't have clicked on that. Uh, yeah, I guess he's talking about that. So this is kind of like a good point we can kind of pull from that. As these nails come out, do you see in possibly 10 years or so that other more obsolete methods like the LON method will for stature lengthening would be um, phased out? No, because you will always have people at the low end of the market trying to, to make a buck. Yeah. And, um, and you will have patients that are gullible enough to, to go and yeah. do that. So I, th I think, unfortunately, we will see that hanging around for a long time. Most of us who do, can we do, can all of us do LON? Yes, all of us <laughs> that do limb lengthening and limb reconstruction surgery can do LON. Um, can everybody do it well? Well, that's another question. But um, the, the problem with LON for, for cosmetic lengthening is the risk of infection. And, and you know, that, that's in my mind an unacceptable risk um, in, in this group of patients. Um, do I deploy LON for other indications? Yes. Yes, we do. So, so we can use an LON, and there are indications where we use that, um, but not for cosmetic or stature lengthening. Right. Um, so will it become obsolete? I don't think so. It's a good technique, mm -hmm. but just not for this indication. Gotcha, gotcha. And if you guys don't know his other moniker, Dr. B is known as the Lord of the Rings. This guy is a fantastic user of the external fixator for ring for deformity correction. And that's why, you know, doing a stature lengthening case safely is, you know, right up his alley. It's his calling card. So, all right. Uh, we have another question from Ankit. He's asking, what is the cost of internal limb lengthening surgery in South Africa? So Ankit, we have a link below. Um, we'll mention it again at the end, but it's uh, $60,000 for both femur and tibia with Dr. B at IOR. Um, so if you want, there's a link below that says the collective dot or Burkholz dot the collective dot com. Click on that. You can see all the offerings that he has for all his different packages, read about his bio and what his clinic offers there. So all right. And very uh, soon a cool video as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're going to post this video in there. So <laughs> you'll, yeah, that's right. You're, he's working on an intro video as well. So uh, he's sprucing up his page really nicely. Um, okay. Let's see. So this is actually a good question because a lot of patients do ask me about tibia lengthening. He's saying, what's the difference in recovery time doing five centimeters versus six centimeters in tibia? And that's quite a bit of length, but let's say that the patient was able to tolerate it. But now we talk about bone healing for the tibia. Yeah, look, um, generally bone healing is quantified by something called the healing index. And that is generally for external fixation in the tibia. That's generally around one and a half to two months for every centimeter that we lengthen. Uh, if we're using internal nails, that's a bit shorter. It's generally about one and a half months for every centimeter. So you can imagine for five um, you know, centimeters, that would be seven and a half months. For six, that would be nine months. So there would be about a six weeks difference in bone consolidation. Gotcha. The problem is that the pressure on the soft tissues and the potential nerve complications would start rising almost exponentially once you go beyond four, four and a half centimeters. So, mm. so that jump between four and five, it's much shorter or smaller than the jump between five and six. So in a tibia, that jump between five and six becomes problematic. And that's where we see complications rising very rapidly. Gotcha. Um, so yes, bone consolidation should take about six weeks longer, but the recovery in terms of muscles, nerves, ballerina, foot, all of that stuff, uh, that will take much longer in a six centimeter versus a five versus a four. 
that's interesting. It incre increases exponentially. Uh, this next question from Pam the One uh, is kind of just off of that topic about bone healing. He's saying, how long in your experience does the consolidation phase last on a precise lengthening of six to seven centimeters? I'm guessing for the femur. Um, so yeah. if they did like that safe conservative uh, lengthening that you're talking about. Yeah, so again, again, one and a half to two months for every centimeter to get bone consolidation, uh, muscles and all of that stuff can be longer, can be shorter, but but you asked about consolidation, so that's bone. Um, yeah, so probably six centimeters is nine months, seven centimeters is what I can't do mass at this time of the night, but whatever, <laughs> seven times one and a half. But there is variability. Um, the problem is if you're a smoker, you can easily double that time. Um, if you have other medical conditions like low uh, vitamin D levels, which may go un unmeasured, uh, that could also um, make the time longer if you've got bad nutrition, bad physiotherapy, poor surgical technique. All of those things can play into this and it could actually uh, conceivably make it more than a year uh, if you're not careful. So some of these take really long to heal. Yeah, there's lots of factors to play into it, guys. Congratulations, DJ. DJ Cyborg, one of Dr. Burkholz's patients. Yeah, Jimmy, thanks for that. He's doing amazing. He's at 3.7 centimeters. Um, Douglas, we answered this a little earlier. Uh, do you allow patients to fly home to complete their lengthening of rehab? So unfortunately, no, you need to stay in Stellenbosch for the full duration of lengthening. That's what Dr. P uh, iterated earlier. Um, that's usually time flies, but he says, bring something with you to keep you busy because once the pain dies down, you'll be bored. So <laughs> keep yourself. Do busy. something or, or, or come and see this beautiful part of the world. It's so much to do. And interestingly, this area is very well equipped for, for people on in wheelchairs, on crutches and so on. So all the tourist attractions, everything is pretty well equipped for, for somebody that's, uh, um, that's got limited mobility. So um, yeah, you can go up Table Mountain, you can, yeah, watch whales, drink wine, look at students. <laughs> yeah, look at students, exactly. That's incredible, guys. Like, literally, you can take it as, like, a kind of a vacation while you're getting taller. It's awesome. All right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the box means here. What's the common denominator for patients that recover exceptionally well compared to those who don't? Oh, okay. So, like, the difference uh, between? Mm, probably genetics, I would think. Um, you know, that's, and that's anecdotal, but, yeah. Uh, the problem is nature programmed us to heal at a specific rate and we cannot change that fundamentally. So, you know, as, as long as we all want to feel that we're special and we're going to be that exception that's going to heal in half the time, you know, realistically that probably doesn't exist. So, you know, all of our patients follow a rough program of healing in a certain predicted pattern. Um, so most of them follow that pattern. So very few people are outliers. And okay. um, certainly on the short side, we don't see that often. Mm, gotcha. So genetics do play a role. All right. Um, Dr. B, we're just at the hour mark. Are you okay on time for a little bit longer? Yeah, I'm good. Over there. Okay, cool. I can go the whole day. All right. That's awesome. Guys, by the way, he worked like a 15-hour day. He did like a speech and a seminar and everything like that, and he's still doing this. So you guys got to give it up for Dr. B. All right. So uh, Ankit's asking, can we go for limb lengthening two times for each bone segment? That is two times on the femur, two times on the tibia. So this is that re-break method you get asked a lot yeah. about. Yeah, technically you can, and technically... I can do that for you. It's not, not difficult to do. Um, but I would suggest get the first one done. You know, it's like asking somebody, how do you make 10 million? You know, start with one and then, and then go. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so yes, it's technically possible. Um, 
you know, you need to look at muscle stiffness, you need to look at joint range of motion, you need to look at uh, proportions, um, you need to look at all kinds of things before we embark on this journey. And you might get to after the first surgery and say, well, we can't do it again. But, but yes, technically, one can re-break the, uh, the bones, you can back out the nails and you can continue lengthening. Yes, technically possible. Is it safe? Who knows? You know, one would have to be uh, very careful to, to um, probably tailor that to a very specific patient and tailor that to very realistic goals. So, so the short answer is yes, it's technically possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Dr. B, this next question. Um, in fact, I have a, we can, what we can do here. He's asking, do you pro provide caretaker service? Um, and as you're answering that, what I'm going to do, I'm bring back up your page. And if you want, we can kind of explain where the patients will stay for the all-inclusive package, um, how yeah. the physio will happen, and just kind of, you know, depict the, what your service really offers. So let me pull that up. And, yeah, so uh, so maybe I can walk you through a, a typical patient journey um, as, they, as they pass through our hands. And, and we've just completed a, a really inspirational lengthening on a, on, a, um, on a patient for tibial lengthening who's just flown back to the States, I think, a week or two ago. And, and he's had a, a fantastic journey. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, just a side note, you know, um, this group of patients I find are, and I'm talking to you as a group probably, uh, you know, and, and please don't see it as a marketing exercise. Um, I, I find this some of the most inspiring uh, patients that I see in my practice because it is fundamentally life-changing. And um, I, I really, that, that, that makes me feel good as a surgeon because I see people's lives changed for the better. And, you know, we do that in, in all the surgeries that we do to a certain extent. But, but, but this group, I, you know, you, you, I've grown very fond of the, of the, of the statue lengthening group because it is, a, it is so different from what we do in our everyday life. And yet it's so rewarding. So anyway, that's a, that's a little side note for you. But please, that's not a marketing speak. That's just from my heart. But okay, so the normal journey would start with somebody reaching out to me. Um, they would often have x-rays available and that would be great. Uh, they would send an email and we would set up a, a Zoom call. Uh, the Zoom call is free as long as you're serious about uh, proceeding uh, to a certain extent. Um, and then we generally plan the x-rays. We look at the diameter, the length of the bones, all of that stuff. And, and you know, make a, a plan, you know, which nail, antegrade, retrograde, femur, tibia, blah, blah, blah. And then we start setting a provisional date. Um, once we've locked down the date, then um, before you arrive to the country, we would want the, the fees paid. And the only reason for that is so that I can procure the nails, book the bed in the hospital and all of that. These are all subcontractors. So, so I don't own the hospital. I don't, you know, own the nails. So I need to buy these things. And that's the only reason we ask for money up front. Then the patient typically flies in um, and often they come in, for example, on a Tuesday and we operate on a Thursday. So they come in a couple of days before the surgery and we do an in-person consultation. They see Jimmy, my physiotherapist, and they see um, the psychologist, they see myself. We do a clinical assessment, we relook at the x-rays and we confirm that, that we're all ready to go along. If at that point you decide that you don't want to go ahead, I'm happy to cancel the surgery at no cost apart from the um, bank fees to, to just transfer the money back to you. So, so I'm happy to, to sort of almost a risk-free deposit, if you will, um, simply because you might come to me and you find that 
you know, something is off, something is not, not, not feeling good. And then I would much rather that we stop it right there than to continue on something where you feel un, unhappy with. Anyway, so that, so those two days that you come for the consultation to the surgery, we book you into a local hotel, we could come and fetch you at the airport. Um, and then you book into the hospital on the day of the surgery. Um, surgery happens as, as it happens. You go into the high care unit afterwards and then you stay in the hospital for around two weeks um, as a minimum. And this is one of the longest hospital stays that you will find in anybody's um, facilities. And, and the reason I do that is again safety. I want to keep you under my eyes. I'm a bit of a control freak and I want to make sure that we keep you close to where I can intervene if something goes wrong. And so that's about two weeks. Now, after a week, we then start with a distraction. A week later, we do our first x-ray so that in that first two weeks, we can see that the nails are working, we are distracting and we're forming bone. Only then am I happy for you to leave the hospital. And at that point, we then normally go to a facility down the road called the Stellenbosch Academy of Sport, which is where my physical therapists are based. They also host the Sevens rugby team. They also host the netball teams. It's a, it's a sports-focused, high-performance recovery center, um, mostly for sports coaching and sports recovery. Um, and I've been able to twist their arm to actually accommodate my patients there. Wow. So for now, that is, the, that is the, the place where you end up. Um, in time, that might change, but for now, that is, that is where it is. So at that facility, we don't have a caretaker as such, so you're taking care of yourself. And, but by that time, you are able to get into and out of a shower. You're able to get into and out of the bathroom. You can go down to the canteen to have your meals, and, and all those meals and things are um, included. Your physiotherapist will come and see you every day and continue with the physical therapy. And, and that is the pattern until three months have passed and the end of the distraction. And all of that stuff is included in this package. Now, um, if you need to stay longer in the hospital, so let's say at two weeks you're not ready to go on your own into the um, facility, we can accommodate that as well. So we can stretch that time in the hospital a little bit longer. If that gets too long, we might ask you for a little co-payment to just fund the extra time in the hospital. But generally, we've got a couple of days of leeway. So you only go out of the hospital once you're ready to cope on your own. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's a long story. And sorry, my accent is getting heavier as the night goes on. <laughs> but uh, I seem to speak faster. But, but that's in a nutshell uh, where we are. <laughs> That's incredible, man. That's one of the most all-inclusive packages for stature lengthening by a safe surgeon that you guys are going to get on the market. So uh, like I said, if you guys are looking for um, a fantastic surgeon, Dr. B is not very far away. All I have to do is click the link below. So, all right, let's see. What is the next question that we have? Okay, so this is actually a good question from L. He's asking, what's your approach? Uh, what, what approach do you recommend for a male patient who's 160 centimeters? <clears throat> um... 160 centimeters is a, is a, sh a short starting height. So I would think that the femurs would have very narrow canals mm -hmm. and that would be a potential problem to fit nails in there. Generally, a 160 centimeter individual is fortunately on the lighter side as well. So we should be able to tolerate thinner nails. Now, currently the thinnest nail we have on the precise is a 8.5. So we would probably be able to sneak an 8.5 in the anti-grade, um, but that would then need to be measured on the x-rays. 
And then I would push for six and a half centimeters as a first goal. That's always my answer. And unfortunately, at 160 centimeters starting height, we would find it difficult to push to the full eight centimeters, although we would want to. Um, and I would strongly try. I would be. It would be difficult to guarantee that we could get to eight. But we would get to six and a half, and then try and push that limit as much as we can. Once we've got good consolidation and healing, my suggestion would be to then come back for a tibial lengthening. And again, we would try and max that out. So we would start with a goal of about four and then see if we can maybe sneak in another centimeter or, or even a centimeter and a half in there um, so that we give this patient about 10 centimeters um, uh, or 12 if we're lucky. Right. And, you know, that pushes you fundamentally into a different bracket. You know, that, that change from 160 to over 170 uh, would really put you into a different bracket altogether. If you combine that with um, shoes with, with a bit of a heel, uh, you can actually get close to the 175 mark, which actually puts you into the average for most places in the world. Um, so instead of walking into the room and people saying, oh, that's a short guy, um, you know, you're walking them, they don't notice you. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's the difference. So, um, but if you do this, you need to do it safely. There's no sense in doing 15 or 20 centimeters and not being able to walk into the room and being in a wheelchair because then everybody's <laughs> going to know anyway, right? So, um, yeah. So, so take it slow, take it easy, do what's safe. Um, but we can probably get to about 10 or 12 centimeters without too much risk. Uh, but it, it will give, it will take time. You will need to give me um you know a year or two of your life to do that because i wouldn't do it in one go we would have to separate them sufficiently apart that's why i love it so much because like i mean we see these um stories online of patients that do 10 centimeters in one go on the femur or 11 or something crazy like that and we see these severe muscle contractures that you know the patient doesn't know any better but the clinic should have kind of like uh advised them ahead of time but a lot of times I call them, uh, Dr. B, patient pleasers, whereas you, you're taking the lead in this. And you're saying, hey, look, <clears throat> for my own sake, you know, and for you as the patient, I care about your health first and your functionality. We're going to stop here and you're watching them along the way. That's incredible. Um, this next question is about wingspan. And I get this question a lot about arm length. And uh, this person's asking if my wingspan is one or one and a half inches below my height, should I get humerus lengthening after a three inch femur or two inch tibia lengthening? So I guess they're trying to like balance out their proportions here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's your body. It's your life. It's what you want. Right. So um, it is quite brutal to have three inch femur and two inch tibia and then, you know, something on the humerus, uh, if that's what you're asking, if you're talking about a, I don't know, know what you would even call that. It's, it's not quadrilateral. It's, I don't know, <laughs> exolateral or whatever. Um, you know, so yes, it's possible. Yeah, it's obviously possible. Uh, is it advisable? I simply don't know. It depends on how unhappy you are with that, that proportion. Um, the reality is a humerus lengthens much easier than a tibia or a femur. It's actually a fairly straightforward lengthening and, and the humerus responds very well to lengthening. Um, we have a precise humeral nail that, that, that does a great job at, at, at lengthening the humerus and you know it can, it can be done safely and effectively. The reality is wingspan, you know, you guys know your wingspan and your height ratio. Nobody else in the world knows that or 
to be honest, cares because nobody walks around with their arms on their sides. So, you know, as much as it's in this fraternity, it's very much spoken about and very everybody is aware of it. And you look at somebody and say, ah, those arms are a bit long or a bit short. I can tell you the average person doesn't bother. And, and the average girl out there definitely doesn't bother. No way. Um, you know, so if that's what you, you know, what, you, what you're after. So, um, yeah, it's a long-winded answer. I think... Should I get is, is the wrong way to phrase it is, is, you know, it's a choice that you as an individual have to make, you know, uh, you're making big choices to have the surgery done. And, and, you know, ultimately, it's about what would make you happy. Um, and I'm not the person that can tell you what would make you happy, but uh, I can tell you what is safe and I can tell you what you probably shouldn't be doing. Um, but adding a humerus is, is not a difficult lengthening to add. But it is another surgery. And, you know, it, it can go wrong, like any other surgery. So you need to take that risk-benefit ratio. Absolutely. Got to weigh your options there. Uh, this next question is from Douglas. It's kind of a good question. Uh, how often is the physiotherapy in your package? <clears throat> like how many times a week? <laughs> the, sh the short answer is as often as you need. Um, we, uh, you know, within reason. I mean, we're not going to give you physiotherapy five times a day, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we expect you to do your exercises and your physio exercises five times a day or six times a day or constantly. But, uh, you know, the, the physiotherapist will, will come at least once a day, uh, oftentimes twice a day in the first phase. Later on in the, in the stages, we, it's more of a supervisory capacity. So we drop that down to once a day, sometimes three times a week. So, so we tailor it a little bit according to the patient. But what I can promise you is you will have enough of that built into the package. So I'm not going to skimp on that. Remember, it's your body, but it's also my reputation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the end, I also have skin in this game. It's not, I'm not yet to try and make a quick buck and, you know, try and withdraw physio so that I can make more profit. That, that's not my game. That's not what I'm doing. So you will have enough as much as you need, provided you do your part and do your exercises in between. Absolutely, guys. Got to be the compliant <laughs> Uh, mutual uh, partnership in your surgeon and patient. Okay. Uh, this next question from Salinger, he's asking, do nerves elongate while lengthening? Are there any adverse side effects to it? Most research papers say that it's a risky business. Yeah, that's a good comment. Um, this is risky, risky business. Uh, we weigh um, off, off what, what normal people see as rational surgery right um i'm saying normal people but the average person out there you know if you tell them you know i'm going to go to africa and i'm going to have my legs broken and lengthened you know they're going to say you're crazy man you know just find some high heels or find a shorter girlfriend or you know whatever so so that's the normal response right you, you guys get it every day um so yes it is risky business the nerve component of limb lengthening is what scares me because that's the irreversible part. So apart from the stuff that can kill you, obviously that's very scary. But, you know, if we're talking about the other stuff, then, then the nerve part is the part that, that I'm worried about because that's the part that, that's often irreversible. And, um, you know, we know that if we lengthen slow enough, we can lengthen nerves. They can actually elongate and grow and, and lengthen. Um, but... If we lengthen so slowly, then the bone will consolidate before it grows. So, so a nerve probably needs to be lengthened at something like 0.1 millimeter a day or something. Uh, and we can't go that slow for the bone's sake. So, yeah, so we do fall behind and the nerves actually stretch more than they actually lengthen. Um, fortunately, most of our nerves are pretty loosely wrapped around our body and there is a bit of space to, um, to accommodate a longer limb. 
Um, <clears throat> but the side effect of, of lengthening as, as it pertains to nerves is that we do put some stretch on the nerves. And if you stretch your nerve too much, it stops working. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, the reality and that's the danger. And that's why I'm all about safe limits. And, you know, that's, that's why that exists. Absolutely. Very good answer. Bone, we can grow almost unlimited. I mean, I can grow, if, if you gave me bone without too much soft tissue, I can grow you 20 centimeters of bone. That's not difficult to do. Uh, the problem is the soft tissues around them. Absolutely, guys. There's always a compromise. Uh, Dr. B, great information. Thank you. So, yeah, guys, let's do another 15 minutes uh, with Dr. B. It's a late night over there for him. You guys remember he's on the other side of the world, so um, he's awesome stand up like this for you. But let's do another 15 we're, we're minutes. We're on the good side of the world. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm on the good side <laughs> of the world. <laughs> right, sunny outside. Hot, but sunny. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this next question um, do you know of any patient you've operated on, have they ever regretted the surgery from Tavor? Not that I'm aware of. Um, of course, you know, there may be patients um, and they might not want to tell me. Um, <laughs> but in my statue lengthening group, I'm not aware of anybody that's regretted the surgery. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that there's a remarkable... I think over 90% of satisfaction from stature lengthening patients and the ones who go to questionable clinics, uh, that really makes up a hefty amount of the people who aren't happy with it. So uh, this Mm -hmm. next question is asking about drinking wine or alcohol after limb lengthening. Uh, Can you drink wine after limb lengthening? Absolutely. Uh, We would almost insist on it. Um, (laughs) You're in a a great wine region in the world, right? So no, (laughs) it's a joke, but um, within moderation, um, it does not have an effect on your bone growth. If you drink excessively, then it can slow down bone growth. And of course, more importantly, it compromises your proprioception and it can make you fall and it can cause um, you to maybe overload your nails accidentally if you're not careful. So, and obviously risk-taking behavior and all of this stuff. So, so, so you can have a glass of wine, just don't get drunk. Um, that's probably good advice anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right, no, for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. From uh, Naomi is asking, um, being in the surgery hurt or put a stampede in your career work job while recovering? Okay. So I guess um, this is kind of the compromise of working while limb lengthening while you're recovering. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a surgery. You got to get to the walking and then it's still recovery after that as well. So um, I guess from your experience, what's it like for patients to kind of um, work with this crazy procedure? Yeah, that's a that's a very difficult one, and I think it's um, it's again very individual, depending on your type of work that you do and so on. Um, I think most of us talk about work in terms of um, sort of office-based work, but you do need to commute a little bit, you know. So it's not heavy manual labor, but you need to be able to move around and so on. I think for most people, the expectation would be that we could get back to a reasonable level of that somewhere between the nine and twelve months mark. Um, after surgery. Um, What that means is you will probably still walk with a bit of a limp, so people would notice that you maybe walk a little differently than you used to. Of course, people that know you well will notice that you are taller than you used to be. Um, So it has impacts at at work. what is interesting is the long-term effects in your work, and, and that's anecdotal, but I've had a couple of patients that have responded to say that this has changed their life completely in terms of their career path, where suddenly doors have opened for them, 
um, when they walk into a boardroom, people notice, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, and that's, that's the dream, right? So that the surgery is actually life-changing. Um, but to answer your question, it, it would interrupt your career or your job for a period of time. I, I think it would be irresponsible to say it doesn't. Yeah. I think it does, and it is a it's a big undertaking. And um, you know, this is and that that's why there's sort of two phases where people have this done. The one is when they're really young, um, before they really start their careers, and the other one is when they're really established and have their own businesses and 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 sort of are able to take that time off. And those are the two groups that I see generally. Um, so the guys that are really in the thick of building their career at the moment, they don't normally have the time to do this. Absolutely, guys. It's all about setting out your priorities and doing this when it's right for you. Um, Prometheus, uh, as far as the cost goes, there's a link below. Uh, Dr. B has a page there. You can check out what his service offerings are. Um, it will cost you more than the package because that's more than one lengthening. Exactly. Right. So you can't just kind of slap it on, say, 10 centimeters drive through. It's not that easy. That's two surgeries. No. But uh, you can check out his pricings. That'll be uh, in the link below. You can take a look at there. Uh, we talked about it earlier. We'll mention it again at the end here. Um, <clears throat> Amen is asking, hey, Vic and Dr. Burkholz, I have a question for the doctor. Okay, it's the next one here. Okay. What would you recommend as a good maximum femur and tibia growth for a guy who has a starting height of 163 undergoing lengthening surgeries? Okay, so you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, I'm answer, six and a half, four and a half, probably adding about 11, 12, split them far apart, make it as safe as possible. Um, 163... You know, we're probably still looking at the smaller nails, so um, there will be a delay in weight bearing, and um, we would want to split those two surgeries apart as long as possible, or as far as possible. Right. No, absolutely, guys. You want to split them as far as possible. Uh, let's see. Any other questions in here? I see a lot of kind of similar questions. Okay, this is a good question. It's kind of new from Gav. What's the process of nail removal? Do they remove everything, the sensor and all the screws, and how long would I have to be in the hospital, and do they have to open up all these incisions again? So nail removal process. Yeah. Nail removal is um, <clears throat> a little bit more difficult than it sounds. Um, generally, we make slightly bigger cuts to remove the nails than what we do to put them in mm. uh, because we have special instruments that we have to screw into the bone to get onto the or into the nail to actually grab onto it to pull it out. Uh, we have to go through the same incisions to, to remove the screws, but remember the nail is now elongated and the bone has moved. Sometimes the soft tissue doesn't move the same amount, so the cuts might not be in exactly the same places. Um, of course, the osteotomy where we cut the bone, that skin incision doesn't need to be redone. But the short answer is yes, nail removal means we remove everything. Um, it generally means slightly bigger cuts than what you had. Uh, maybe not all of them, but some of them. And um, in hospital, it's generally advisable to stay overnight because it can be quite painful because sometimes we struggle to get all the little bits and pieces out and it can be a little bit painful. Um, so I would advise maybe at least one night in the hospital. Uh, we, we have, I think somewhere on the page, we've got some removal packages and uh, one of the options we, we, we think is a good idea is to actually add some physiotherapy uh, to this nail removal package so that we can optimize uh, your function. So yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, the marketing speak is the, the premium VIP removal. So that's the one that includes uh, extra hospital days, some extra physio, 
and also some time in the in the rehab clinic so that we can optimize your your outcome because sometimes people still have a bit of a residual stiffness somewhere and it's a good idea to have some intensive physiotherapy to get that out of the way absolutely absolutely guys you want to get the complete process of limb lengthening back to de-cyborg yourself <laughs> all right um this next question is actually kind of a good question uh he's he's asking a user's asking about is it possible to recover fully from the surgery not talking about you know full athletic ability but normal day-to-day -day life things uh after doing you know a standard conservative amount of length on each limb segment it's a difficult one to answer completely because it's very dependent on the individual patient and provided nothing goes wrong and the patient is relatively healthy and everything goes according to plan yes you can recover normally or as close to normal as one one would want to be if you have aspirations to become a high level sports person or that you want to optimize your biomechanics by doing limb lengthening you know that that's not that's you're going to be disappointed but if if you're an average guy like most of us and you just want to get on with life and function reasonably well and have the benefits of the surgery stick to your goals that are conservative and then you know most most good surgeons would almost be able to guarantee you a decent outcome so um all things being equal taking into consideration people are different but but yeah um so if you ask me if it's safe safe enough to do yes it probably is i mean in the world we now have hundreds if not thousands of patients that have been to reputable surgeons that have had good outcomes and you know it, it is a fairly predictable procedure now yep absolutely uh, this question's fantastic. I get this question all the time. Is it normal or I guess possible to feel screws bulging out from the leg, um, you know, into the soft tissue and you get pain from that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Instrumentation that's in your body is painful and uh, or uncomfortable, I should say. Uh, depends on what, what it irritates and where it presses. It can be painful or, or, or just uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There's an element of cold sensitivity involved in that as well. So you would find if the temperature changes or if it's cold, you would, you would also be aware of that. Uh, so it is normal, it is possible. And um, the only way to solve that is really to remove the stuff. Uh, that solves the direct irritation by the instrumentation, but it doesn't necessarily take away the cold sensitivity that may remain even after removal of the instrumentation. Wow, okay. Um, I know you should never smoke, but when is it okay to continue smoking after surgery? So if they stopped, let's say, six months before the surgery, they got through lengthening, the bone consolidated, when can they resume smoking if that's part of their daily habit? As a doctor, my answer should be you should never smoke. So as far as the bone consolidation is concerned, once the bone is consolidated, smoking will not affect that anymore. But, okay. uh, but the real answer is do yourself a favor and don't start again. If you've stopped yeah. long enough to... Uh, uh, it's a philosophical point and you know this is the doctor in me coming out but you know once you've once you've come to this incredible surgery to change your life and you've you've rebuilt this temple of your body if you want to put it in those terms why the hell do you want to go and destroy it by smoking i mean um you know you've, you've shown the commitment to fly somewhere to have your legs broken you're paying a tremendous amount of money for that um you've shown commitment by stopping smoking for a period of time already uh just continue stopping man it's 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 going to serve you well and it's going to serve your future family or present family well in the future so just just don't restart it's not worth it
Absolutely. And the really interesting fact that I talked to a few smokers throughout my years with, you know, Cyborg for Life. And since they stopped before the surgery, I think only one went back to smoking. It was more like, uh, you know, marijuana. So it wasn't actually, you know, nicotine. Yeah. So if it does stop you, you're right. If it's, you stop for a good sabbatical, just stop, guys. It's the perfect time. You All right. a, as an opportunity and rebuild your life, reinvent yeah. yourself. Right. Exactly. It's a perfect turning point. Um, Okay, guys, so uh, Top Wave, so how much does he charge for using the Precise Nail? Um, <clears throat> so he doesn't do LON for stature lengthening, but you can see what he does charge for his internal lengthening methods. There's a link below. That's his page. He has all his package offerings there. Take a look at that. Um, a couple more questions here. I know Dr. B, it's super late. Thanks so much for staying here. We'll just take a two more, couple more questions. Uh, is there an age limit for stature lengthening? If a patient is 60, would you consider them? That's maybe an extreme example. Um, <laughs> look, technically, it's possible to lengthen limbs at any age, um, and we've certainly done so. Not for cosmetic lengthenings, but for, for equalization and other reasons. So, uh, so technically, it would be possible to take a patient that's 60 and, and make them taller. But I think the risk-benefit ratio starts swinging completely in the wrong direction. Um, I would probably be comfortable up to about 45 um, but then beyond that, you know, the, the nerves become tighter, the soft tissues become tighter, everything becomes a bit more brittle. Um, I'm not so worried about bone growth. That remains quite predictable throughout life, but, uh, but the soft tissues start getting us into trouble. And, and then you also have to start getting into, you know, why are you doing it? What's the reasoning behind it? Um, you know, is it really worth it? Um, you know, once you get to 45 or 50 or 60, you're generally well established and, and the benefit of, of uh, limb lengthening might not outweigh the risk type of thing. So um, it's an interesting question. I, I've, I've never had that extreme example. I've had people in their 40s asking and that's um, generally, uh, interestingly, their minds are stronger. So they, they go through the process easier um, in many respects from a mental and psychological perspective the older people. Um, they tend Absolutely. to be a bit more resilient, I think. That, but, I uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I would probably not take on a case that's 60. Um, <laughs> just as a blanket statement. Right. You have a nice phone call with them. That's, that's about it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's be very interesting, interested to hear the reasoning. Um, that would be a very interesting exercise to just hear why. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway, that's a side note. Right, no, I think it would be really interesting as well. Um, this next question, we'll take uh, two or three more questions, guys. This is the last couple of questions. It's already been 90 minutes, guys. He's doing amazing. Here it is. On a pain scale of one to 10, with wisdom teeth removal being about a five, what would you say the limb lengthening uh, typically is a f for pain? So what's the level? I don't know. I don't feel a thing. Um, <laughs> but it's... Probably wisdom teeth, I also haven't had mine removed, so I don't have any context uh, to yeah. offer you. But um, yeah, it's, it's probably about similar. It's bone pain, so it's probably about similar, but we do do a lot more stuff to try and control the pain. So yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't think that's a, that's a fair comparison. If you've broken your leg, um, you know, due to a soccer injury or, 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 or something like that, or you've broken an arm, it's probably in that bracket of pain, you know, it's something in that range. 
Absolutely. Yeah, guys. And if you want, you can just ask some of Dr. B's patients in the Discord, which is there's a link below. You can join for free. Go ahead and ask. A lot of a lot of the patients are actually creating diaries. You can follow along and see their experience. Um, so this next question from Topwave. So does he have a package that's all inclusive for physiotherapy? Yes, it is. It's not charged separately. It's included. So Topwave, if you take a look at that package that we talked about earlier, you can see that it's included in that. Um, all right. And then last two questions here. So we're going to take Benjamin Noza. He's always the MVP. So Avic, if you have to choose the LON method and you get the external device removed, do you also need to take the internal nail out as well, which would be considered to get both removed? So like the trauma nail that goes into the bone, Dr. B, you know, so would they have to get that removed as well? Or is it suggested, recommended to get it removed? Yeah, so I think the recommendation would be to have that removed at some point along the way. And, and the simple reason is with LON, you have a combination of an external fixator and an internal fixation at the same time on the same bone. So there is a theoretical chance of um, infection that can cross-contaminate between the two. So that internal nail, although it might not be clearly infected at the time, might have some colonization by bacteria and it could give you something that's called late implant sepsis. So it could become or show itself as infected at a later stage. Uh, and for that reason, I would advise to remove it, provided the bone is strong enough. Of yeah, course. That's a fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Get that thing out, guys. It's, yeah. All right. Um, and then, yeah, we'll take this last question. Or the, you know, we have one more question here. Can you? Oh, all right. So, box-fed TV, and then we'll ask the last question from Naomi. So, can you lengthen the arms and legs at the same time, or does it complicate physio? <laughs> <laughs> no, and yes. So, no, you can't, and yes, it does, and that's the reason why you can't. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so you've answered your own question basically. Yeah, he figured that out. He just wants to consolidate the time, but you can't do that one. Yeah. All right. All right. No, um, I understand I why that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, plus you have to use walking assistance. Oh, man, it'd be a disaster. Um, Naomi's asking, what are some advancements you hope from these procedures, whether it be tissue healing, nails placement, improvement? What? So I guess like the advancement of limb lengthening, the industry as a whole. Yeah, I think, I think we need uh, better devices. I think we need devices that are more weight-bearing. I think we need devices that at that price provides more intelligence, that they can give us some feedback, that they can give us some sense of what the bone strength is doing, what the healing is doing, maybe have the ability to stimulate bone growth. Um, you know, so that would be interesting things to, to see in future evolutions of, of lengthening devices. Um, I think there's a, a big potential for things like, um, uh, I, I know some of my colleagues are playing with Botox and things like that, but, but you know, things like um, tissue healing, uh, genetic engineering, maybe um, technologies in that field to try and improve uh, soft tissue component of the healing. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the psychological field. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the biomechanics and rehabilitation field, physiotherapy, um, all of that stuff. And, you know, we, most of us who do a lot of this work are doing some research in these directions to try and, you know, expand the knowledge and so on. Um, but yeah, and then surgical technique and making sure that surgeons, uh, do the right techniques, do them correctly, but also do them for the right reasons. And, um, you know, I think that's where the biggest change needs to happen is that we try and clamp down on unscrupulous uh, surgeons. I, I know that's a pipe dream, but uh, that would be ideal if we could somehow um, limit the exposure to 
to Absolutely. surgeons and facilities where people get crippled. Yeah, and you're doing a fantastic job at that. I appreciate you kind of joining the cause, the initiative that the collective has that we at Cyborg Flife is trying to start, and we're trying to build a list of safe surgeons. If you guys know, Dr. B is one of the amazing surgeons that we have selected to do that. So if you guys want to reach out to Dr. B and you know consult with him about potentially doing limb lengthening, uh, you can see that the ticker here at the bottom. There's a link below in the description. It's burkholds.thecollective.com. You guys can reach out to him, check out his page, what he offers in his packages, um, and that's a perfect opportunity to set up a consult with him, ask him questions, talk about your individual needs, and he'll sit down, he'll talk to you, he'll work out a plan with you, and you can potentially be, you know, three to five inches taller in time. So, um, guys, that was amazing. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Dr. B, and answering everybody's questions. They always love you. You're a fan favorite surgeon. And, uh, guys, we'll, in the next couple of days, I'm going to be putting together the – I know you guys were asking about the collective membership. So a lot of people have given their interest and their feedback, and we're going to kind of separate the two so you guys will be able to ac access Dr. B um, directly in the collective membership. I'll be having a, <clears throat> a special offer for everybody. So stay tuned to the channel. I'll probably put in the community posts, um, and that'll be a way you can kind of engage with Dr. B between the times that he comes on the channel. So um, if you have questions for him, you just want to ask him about just your, your LinkedIn at another clinic and you're not so sure about things, he's the guy to ask, and he'll be a part of that. So um, Dr. B, thank you so much. I know it's late over there. Thank all of you amazing you know, perspective and current patients. We have uh, your, your patient here, Doc, uh, DJ Cyborg, saying amazing live. Vic and Dr. B, amen, saying it as well. So guys, thank you so much. This is episode episode 91 of Limiting Live. And um, like I said, if you guys want to reach out to Dr. B, link below in the description. And until next time, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, signing out. See you guys next time. Bye. Cheers.